Open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Look at the door. This is the weekend that we uh, tend to think of as the uh, end of summer and the beginning of fall, especially in regards to school. Great to be uh, reading about high school football in the paper again and if you uh, read about the great victories of Ferndale, one of our own is playing this year there. Bo said he's played center. Uh, I mean, Kyler, I'm sorry. Bo used to play. Kyler uh, playing center, and uh, so you can pray for him that he won't get run over too bad. And Alex, are you here? Oh, I didn't know if Alex was here. Yeah, I saw your picture in the paper. What's that? Oh, camera's playing too. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. I didn't know that. Great, we've got, we got the whole front row here, full front line almost, huh? Nice. I enjoyed school for the most part, especially high school. Our school facility was new, and uh, they'd hired a whole new group of teachers, and they were kind of trying some new ideas with the curriculum and scheduling, and I had a great time. I, I, I'm sorry... Some of you, uh, I have to apologize to some of you because I enjoyed algebra and I enjoyed chemistry and geometry. And, and I suppose if there had been uh, computers when I was a kid, I would have been a little farther along than I am now. But uh, I enjoyed that stuff. And uh, consequently, I took all those kind of solid classes. And by the end of my junior year, I only needed one semester of English in order to graduate. And apparently, a bunch of other students had done the same thing. There's about 15 of us that graduated a whole year early. And uh, one of the conditions for me, since I still needed this English credit, was I had to go to college. And, and I just assumed I would go to college anyway. And, and so I went off to uh, what's now Corbin University or Western Baptist College back then and and, uh, and I thought, you know, high school was no big deal, I'm ready for college, and I discovered there had been a bit of an absence in my high school education, and it was called study skills. Uh, it turns out my high school wasn't that academically demanding, and the college I chose to go to was... And so I made it through my freshman year of college like someone learning to swim by being thrown in the deep end of the river. There was another big hole in my education, though. It wasn't just academic. There was a hole in my concept of what God wanted to do during my schooling years. And, and what I want to share with you today, to, for those of you who are students, and perhaps those of you especially who are parents of students, was this. God wants to use everything in our lives to his glory and for our growth, including our time in school. Whether you're homeschooled, you attend a public school, or a Christian school, it doesn't matter. God desires to use your time of education for more than just getting a diploma or graduating or getting a job. Please follow as I read from Colossians chapter 3. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him glory. The first question I want to ask is, what will your education accomplish? Will it help you learn to be a public speaker and not make mistakes? Possibly, no. What will your education accomplish? You may be thinking, duh, my education will accomplish getting an education. So you think I'm not that smart because I've asked the question? Maybe some of you have thought this out a bit more, and you'd say, well, the, the reason I'm doing good in school or the reason I'm working at going to school is to make my parents happy. Or, more commonly, I want to get a job. I want to get a good job. I have to get a good education. i got to get into college so I can get a high-paying job. Used to be true, not quite so much anymore. I want to pass my classes so I can play sports. I want to get an education so I can serve my country and change it for the better. Some students have high aspirations. My goal in high school was to enjoy myself. Now, I liked school, so that wasn't a problem for me. I liked learning. I didn't like PE class too much. But music was fun. I loved playing in the band at football games. I enjoyed the sports teams I was on. I enjoyed getting lunch money from my mom and then driving home and making a lunch and saving the money for a pizza at the end of the week. It's my own little investment program. <laughs> but for the believer in Christ, there is much more potential than just what we would call the normal pursuits of school. Look at verse 1 here. He says, if you were raised with Christ, and, and in the Greek language, when you use the word if, it doesn't always mean uh, maybe or it's possible. It, it can mean I'm assuming this is true. You know, if you and I uh, have had a lot of interaction and I know that you're a Christian, in the course of conversation, I might say, now, now if you're a believer you do this and this and this. And you would understand that that's kind of a rhetorical device. It's a speaking device. And that's the way this is being written. The Apostle Paul has written to these people at Colossians. He knows they're believers in Christ. And he knows that when they believed in Christ, this truth became true of them. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into or put into, immersed into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. Um, the idea is that when we believed in Christ, we were placed into Christ, and several things happened. One is our sin nature died, our new Christ nature was implanted, and we were, we were absolutely connected to Christ. So wherever Christ is, we are. Now I understand that God is omnipresent, he is everywhere, but there's also a sense, and the scripture is very clear about this, that God has a primary presence in heaven. In fact, heaven is even defined as the presence of God. And Christ is there with him at the right hand. And so because you have been immersed into Christ by your faith in him, 
you are there with Christ in heaven. And so the question of Colossians 3 is, are you approaching life like a person who is in heaven with God would approach life? Or are you approaching life just as a person who is always looking down and, and, and doesn't see anything more than this life? Your new spiritual life has potential to bring honor to God. You can have a purpose and a value to your school days that goes way beyond schooling. Now, hang in here with me, especially you parents. I'm not demeaning the value of education. In fact, I'm going to strengthen that in just a minute. Education is important. Extracurricular activities are important. They are valuable. You need to follow the plan that wiser people have laid down for your education. But you just don't go through the motions. You consider the broad purpose that God has for all of your life, including your schooling. And it's summarized here. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's nothing more routine than eating and drinking. It's something we have to do every day. And uh, it's certainly something that we enjoy. But God says even that can be done in a way that brings honor to him. So the big question we have to ask today is, okay, how do you bring honor to God as a student? The way you bring honor to God as a student is by seeing what's important to God. That's what he talks about in verse 2 of Colossians 3. Set your mind, be focused, have a mindset on things that are above, not the things of this earth. So what are the values that God has in your education? Well, number one, God values your ability to know his truth. God values your ability to know his truth. And so I would ask the question, what do you have to know in order to live this book? Well, the minimum you have to know, the minimum ability you have to have, is an ability to understand language. Now, as every child in a home is taught how to speak by their parents. And as the child grows up, it, it's sort of natural to them to speak in that language. I have a friend that's a missionary in Spain, and he was struggling to learn the language, and this little five- or six-year-old Spaniard looks up at him and says, Mister, what's the problem? You just open your mouth, and it comes out. That's how, that's how children learn language. And so by the time a child is, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, they can understand quite a bit of language, and then their vocabulary grows, uh, especially if their parents have a mind to teach them. We could say, now listen all the way till the end of my sermon, we could say that you don't have to have formal education in order to understand God's truth. The people in the time of, of the writing of the Bible... Didn't, the majority of them didn't have formal education. That was only for the rich people. And very few of them could read, and very few of them could have a, a written copy of the Bible. But they had to be intelligent, smart, trained in order to understand. They would come to a setting like this. They would listen to a man read the Bible and then preach from the Bible, and that was their spiritual education for the week or for the day, or however long till the next time they met. And so they still had to be able to think and to process, to understand, to retain. 
Now, there's different ways to gain those abilities. But somehow, you have to have the ability to learn and understand and comprehend God's Word. God cares very much about your ability to understand His truth. Now, in our day, we have the privilege, especially in the United States, of having education in various forms. Some of you go to a home school, some to a Christian school, some to a public school, some to a hybrid. You know, we have folks that are homeschooled, but they get together for some classes, or they go to the public school, or they go to the college, whatever. There's all these different hybrids of education. I'm not here to talk about a form of education. I'm here to talk about the fact that God values your ability to understand his truth. Now, if you really want to grasp his truth via the privilege that we have in this country, you have to learn to read. You have to learn to comprehend. You have to understand language and literature and how it's used. And you have to understand history. And you have to have, understand a little bit about mathematics. I mean, if, if you really want to avail yourself of all that God has given us in his word, you, the more education you have, the better able you will be able to understand it. Now, that's not to say that the Word of God is not spiritually discerned, because it is. 1 Corinthians 2 makes it clear that you need to be a believer in Christ, and you need to be walking with Him in order to understand the Word. All the education in the world will not do you any good without the Spirit of God active in your life. But having the Spirit of God active in your life and being purposefully ignorant of academic understandings will also not further your education. Um, you know, uh, when, we, when our missionaries go to foreign countries and they, they preach the gospel and they teach it and people get saved, what do they want to do next? They want to read the Bible. What do the missionaries do next? They teach them to read. And it's an arduous process. <laughs> Sometimes they have to write the language down. We have the privilege of our language being written down in all this education. God values your ability to understand his truth. If for no other reason than to understand God's truth, you ought to go to school and learn all you can about, about reading and comprehension and grammar and all of that so that you can understand God's truth. If for no other reason, that's reason enough. But there's another reason. There's another value that God has. God values your ability to sustain yourself. This is the part where you parents get to say, thank you, Pastor Dave. Listen to these verses from the Scripture. For when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's God's standard. You know, in the early church, they did much more in what we would call benevolent fund giving than we do. They had no government social service programs, and so the social service was right in the church. In Acts chapter 6, we read about a problem in the widow's distribution. That is, they had money and they bought food for the widows and so on. Uh, and, but the rule was this. If you're slacking, you're not getting food from the church. If any will not work, neither let him eat. In other words, you're an able-bodied person, you ought to be working. Second verse says this, if anyone does not provide for his own, his own family, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God says if you do not provide what is, what is needed for sustaining your family, if you are purposefully lazy, 
then you're worse than an unbeliever. Wow, that makes your unwillingness to work a spiritual issue. Let him who stole steal no longer. And I don't, I'm not supposing we have a real trouble with people stealing here that are part of our church. I hope not. But the, the last part of this verse is really instructive. Let him labor, working with his hands, so that he may have something to give him who has a need. God isn't just interested in you sustaining yourself and your family, but having enough to help other people who have real need. There are people from time to time that, that have calamities come upon them, and, and, and uh, we have to help people, we have to help one another. And then I would just end with this verse, uh, each one shall bear his own load. Very clearly God says you have responsibilities as an individual or as a family member, and you need to take care of that. Now, education is a part of being able to sustain yourself. Being lazy and sponging off your parents is wrong, not because they don't like it, but because God doesn't like it. He wants you to support yourself. Now think about this, those of you who might think, well, I'm going to live off the grid. You know, If you don't understand that term, it means you're going to go out somewhere where there's no electricity and running water, and you're just going to be a self-sustaining mountain man. Yeah, you're going to be a, you know, Waco, Texas wacko, whatever you're going to be. <laughs> I got news for you. You can't do that without education. Because you have to be able to think and figure things out, build things, create things. Um, you're going to need mathematics or your cabin in the woods is going to look like this. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And obviously, much more commonly, we're going to live in a city or a suburb or live in the country and we're going to have a house and we're going to have all kinds of responsibilities and you need to have education because of that. Um, yesterday, I went out and dug a hole and set a post for the gate. It's kind of the completion of my fence project. Now, my dad didn't teach me how to do that. okay? But in high school... I learned about measuring. I didn't get to take shop class because I was taking music class, but I learned about measuring and I learned about reading and uh, I have knowledge that I've gained over the years, but I wasn't certain, so I went to the internet and said, post depth. You know, how deep is it supposed to be? How big is the hole supposed to be? Now, what was I doing? I was doing research, teaching myself so I could do what I want to do. You need to understand, students, that your education is going to be the key to you being able to do what you want to do. The knowledge you gain and the ability you learn are extremely valuable to your spiritual life and to your physical life, but that's not all. Because God has a third value, and it's this. God values your opportunities to grow. God values your opportunities to grow. One of the most significant tools God uses to help us become like him, help us become like Christ, is difficulty. James 1 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Many of you are about to fall into trials because school is starting this week. And some of those trials will be teachers, I had a couple of teachers in my schooling 
who didn't appreciate my stellar personality. <laughs> there were a couple of subjects that I wasn't that fond of. There are things that you will encounter in school, whether it's the book set in front of you at home or, or, or on the desk in the schoolhouse or wherever it is, there are things that you are going to encounter that you don't like, find hard, put in your own word. It's going to be a trial. But you need to know that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. For if you lack wisdom, ask God. God is going to let you fall into trials. He's going to let you. In fact, if you read about Abraham and, and the book of Hebrews, it says God himself put Abraham to the test. When you go to school and something is hard, you need to go, wait a minute, God values this experience, and I need to value it. See, the temptation in a trial is to not stay under it. The temptation is, how can I get out of this? You know, when you go to college, you have the opportunity to get out of a class within the first week. And I only did that once. Boy, I went and this teacher was droning on. I said, I am not putting myself through 10 weeks of this. But I still had to take some history class from somebody. You can only run just so far. <laughs> there's going to be trials. There's going to be difficulty. But realize something. It is for your good and God has allowed it, and if you will embrace it and say, okay, God, this is hard, please give me wisdom, help me to know how to act and what to do, God says he will take you through it and grow you up. In fact, he uses two words about growing up. He, he talks about you're going to become perfect and you're going to become complete. Complete emphasizes wholeness to have everything you need. The word perfect emphasizes being brought to an intended purpose. In other words, your intended purpose is to glorify God by living a, 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 a life that is valuable and so on to him and to the world. And so God's going to bring you to that purpose and God is going to give you all the tools that you need to do that. This is Jake Locker. He plays for Tennessee Titans, and you know who that is unless you've been living under a rock or you're from another part of the country, because he graduated from Ferndale High School, and his senior year, they, the football team beat everybody by 50 points. I mean, it was just unbelievable. But you know what? When he graduated high school, he was not complete as a football player. He went to, went to the University of Washington and uh, had an up-and-down career, both himself and the team, and, and he got drafted, went to Tennessee, but he was still not complete. He had to work through a year or more there, and now this year they've said, you're ready to be the lead quarterback for our football team. I don't know how many years he's been playing football. Um, you know, if he's 25, he's probably been playing football for... 15 years or, or more. 
How long does it take to become complete as a football player? It takes a long time, and it takes even longer to become complete as a believer. Now may the God of peace make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. God is in the business of completing you. And if you're a student, some of the difficulty God will use will come through your schooling. You have to embrace it and say, okay, God, I don't like it, I don't want it, but I will receive it from you, and I will let you grow me up and mature me so that I can be more profitable to you. The fourth value that God has in your, of your education is this. God values your opportunities to serve people. Opportunities to serve people. Uh, have you ever referred to school as jail? You ever thought about that? Yeah. Well, you know, when the Apostle Paul wrote Colossians, he was in jail. He was actually in jail. And in Philippians, he says this about his jail time. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it's become evident to the whole palace garden, to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. The Apostle Paul is taken to jail. And he says, you know what? God is using this. He said, even some of the palace guard, the secret service of the Roman Empire, these guys have gotten saved. Unbelievable. But it never would have happened if the Apostle Paul got put into house arrest and he sat there every day and said, this is terrible. I'm supposed to be out evangelizing the world. I don't have any money. I don't have any way to get any money. I don't have any food. This is awful. And then they bring these Romans, these Gentiles in here to guard me, the heathen. They don't even know who Jesus is. But I'm sure you've never talked that way about school. You understand? You're either embracing the situations that God puts you into as opportunities to serve him, or you are fighting them and running from them and, and trying to get rid of them in any way you can. God knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what classes you're going to take. He knows how those teachers are going to treat you. And your job is to say, I'm here to make disciples. See, our tendency is to think, I'm here to get an education. No, if you're a Christian, you're there to make disciples. Education is just the way you're going to do it. Uh, I hope the rest of you are picking up on the fact that maybe this has a little application for those that aren't in school. Like when you go to work in the morning and you think, I'm there to make money. No, you're not there to make money. You're there to make disciples. Making money is just the path. Really? What does God value? You getting a fat paycheck only? How do you make disciples at school? You live joyfully no matter the circumstances in your life. You know what that shows people? That shows people the reality of Christ. Why, what, why, do, why do they want to know the Christ of that guy that I was just depicting who is complaining? 
Because their life is just as terrible as yours. And yeah, oh, my life's so terrible. Do you want to know Jesus? What? You want to go to church with me? No. Jesus will really make your life better. Really? You want to make disciples? Live joyfully, no matter the circumstance. That's what shows people the reality of Christ and the desirability of Christ. Number two, love people so they can see the Lord, the Lord in you. I have a friend, he was a teacher in college who was a missionary in Brazil, uh, Bob Wright. And he went out to this tribe out in the bush, and he's trying to reach these people, and they got an epidemic of some illness. I don't know if it was smallpox, I can't remember the illness, but many of them died. And he hadn't fully even learned to speak the language yet, and they were not accepting him. And you know what he did? He went and helped them bury their dead. I mean, he literally dug graves and helped them bury their dead. And after that, they thought, this guy loves us. You want to make disciples? Figure out some way you can serve people. We're trying to do that as a church. It's, it's hard for us to find ways to do that, but we're working on it. Give the words of witness. Number three, give the words of witness when there's an opportunity. Live it. Love them. Give the witness when there's an opportunity. As part, of that, as part of that witness, invite people to church to experience God at work. Share the gospel when there's an opportunity, and then ask people to believe. You know, uh, it's been fun to see some of our students try to make disciples. And there's been at least one story of success. If you remember a little gal named Kylie who got baptized two, three, four years ago, Michaela was her friend at school, loved her, brought her to church, took her to camp. Kylie got saved, she got baptized, and she is still walking with the Lord. Her circumstances in life don't allow her to be with us very often for church. But this isn't just for those who attend a public school where we assume that there's lots of unbelievers. Could I challenge you, if you go, if you're, if you go to a Christian school, if you're homeschooled and you participate with other homeschoolers, could I challenge all of us to really stop and say, you know what, I shouldn't assume people know the Lord until I know they know the Lord. Do you know what? On most Sundays, there's unbelievers sitting here among us. Okay? And I don't say that to be critical. I just know the reality. We should never assume, oh, everybody around me is a Christian. I don't need to do anything about making disciples. No, that's not true. We need to be about serving God as we go through our education. Well, all of this that I've been talking about, though, depends on a couple other questions. And the first one is this. Who is directing your education? 
Now, if you go to the public school, you'd say, well, the Board of Education of the state of Washington is directing my education. Um, no, that's not exactly true. I worked in a store when I was in college that was owned by a big corporation far, far away, and so it was run by a manager and an assistant manager. And it was very common for the manager to say, uh, go do this and that and do it like this and that. And then we'd turn around and the assistant manager would say, now go do this and that and do it, don't like that, do it this other way. And we were caught in the middle. Who is in charge of your life, students? Verse 3 of Colossians 3 says, here's the reality you need to embrace. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now again, God states these truths, but there are many places where he also says, now you need to choose to act on that truth. And here's one of the places where he says that. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now the truth is, Colossians 3.3, 3, your life is already with Christ. But are you going to let him be in charge? Are you going to get up on Wednesday morning or whenever the next day is you go to school? And are you going to say, Christ is in charge of my education today? If he brings me difficulty, I will accept it. If he brings me an opportunity to serve, I will take it. I will work hard at my education because he's in charge. And that's what he wants. After accepting Christ as your Savior, this is an ongoing decision that you've got to make, students. Who is in charge of your education? The real path to joy and meaning in education begins when you lay your life at Christ's feet and you commit yourself to following him, period. And the chief thing that's going to help you do that is found in verse 4. In verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. He's making a reference to all those wonderful truths where Christ says, I'm going to prepare a home for you, and then I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. Have you ever asked this question? Why do we have to learn this? The subject that I filled in that blank with was English. Ah, 10th grade English. I sort of got by with just the least possible effort. And then God said, oh, you're going to be a professional communicator. <laughs> it's a valid question to say, why do we have to learn? What is the point of my education? What is it going to matter? I think the answer is here in verse 4. Someday you're going to see Christ face to face. And what you have done with this life is going to really matter then. 
I used to have a young man who was in high school who helped me with yard work, and he was a wrestler, a little, little guy, but he was really strong. One time we were doing some work. Uh, he was getting ready to go to a tournament. And, you know, in wrestling, I, I'm sure most of you know that you wrestle in a, in a weight category, and his category was about that much below his weight. And so while he was working with me one day, we were doing some real strenuous work, and it was hot and whatnot. He did not eat or drink. I mean, I, I actually I didn't know this until I drove into the Dairy Queen, and I said, hey, it's lunchtime. I'll buy you lunch. Nope, I'm trying to make weight. Later on, you want some Coke, you want some water, whatever. Nope, I'm trying to make weight. Now, I'm pretty sure he probably did damage to his body because you need to eat and drink when you're working that way. But he's going to make weight. And he made weight. Okay. Now we look at that and say, wow, there's some real resolve. That guy's got some discipline. That's right. It's hard to put off until tomorrow and wait and look forward for some things. But we have to look forward to the time when we will see Christ face to face. We have to say, what, what am I working toward? And I would just offer some thoughts to you today, students. Straight A's aren't good enough. Getting into college isn't good enough, even if it's Harvard or the, the military academy. A high-paying job isn't good enough. Mom and dad's approval isn't good enough. Becoming famous isn't good enough. Becoming the President of the United States isn't good enough. The point of your education is the same as the point of every aspect of your life. You are going to see Christ someday, face to face. And the question you need to ask when you go to school this week is, how am I going to show up there? How am I going to show up at, at the appearance of Christ based on what I did in my education. This passage here talks about two possibilities. For no other foundation, the beginning of pleasing God is Jesus Christ. It's when you believe in Him as Savior. Now, if you build on this foundation of salvation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, those two kinds of materials indicate things that are eternal and spiritual and genuine and things that are just earthly and selfish. He says you can build, and your Christian life can be lived selfishly or it can be lived godly. Each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. God's not going to cast you out. But the question you have to ask is, do you want to show up in the presence of Christ Smelling like smoke or carrying some gold? When I was in grade school, we used to get grades for how well we behaved. Do, Jim, do you still give out grade? Back then, I think it was called deportment. I was always afraid I was going to get deported <laughs> by my parents. 
Because they cared more about the department grade than the other grades, but they cared about the other ones pretty much too. <laughs> what is your greatest concern in your education, students? If your goal in school is to please the Lord, your time of education will come together in a way that blesses you and is a blessing to God and to others. Heavenly Father, I pray for our students today, especially for them. And I pray that you will let your truth sink in and change them and change their education days to be great days as they see your purpose and your meaning that, that can be present for them. Father, I pray that this year you will work through our students to reach other students. And I pray that you will work through us who are out of school to reach others who are out of school. Lord, make yourself known as you bless and guide and create real meaning and purpose in our lives. I pray in Christ's name, amen.